This is Road Tripping in America, a podcast about life on the road. I'm Lisa. And I'm Paul. We're exploring the U.S. in a pickup truck with a camper. We named our setup The Bobs. We're in search of off-the-beaten-path adventures and new experiences. Join us as we share our stories from the road. Today, we have a special guest. Wendy Allen joins us in a guest driver's ed segment to talk about the 30 days she spent on her motorcycle, riding solo from Wisconsin to Vegas and back. From cramped hands to making connections with strangers when she needed them most, to realizing what was most important in her life, Wendy takes us through the unfiltered story of her adventure. And she tells us why she'd do it again in a heartbeat. This is Series 4, Episode 6, Wendy's Cross-Country Motorcycle Adventure. Driver's Ed, where we are schooled by the road, learning as we go. Thanks for being up for this. Yeah, it was really interesting to kind of think back on on that trip and how it connects to all sorts of other things, too. My name is Wendy Allen, and I live, I'd say, a half hour southeast of La Crosse, which is right on the Mississippi River in Wisconsin. I'm a writer and editor, and I read, (laughs) and I like to write and all that kind of stuff for fun, too. But I enjoy getting outside and hiking, and traveling is really big. Mm -hmm. So it's been nice to kind of start dabbling in that a little bit again. So yeah, let's talk about your trip. So when I know, I remember we talked about this years ago during a wine night or some very thing, but when did you do the motorcycle trip? It was summer of 2011 and I'd been planning it for a couple years before that. It was something that I'd always wanted to do and always wanted to get my motorcycle license and finally decided to dive in and, and start saving up and doing that. So I actually got my license only the year before. So I'd had like less than a year of practice (laughs) before I decided to do this and (laughs) upgraded my motorcycle maybe two months before I left. So it was like a brand new, not brand new, but new to me motorcycle that I hadn't ridden a whole lot. So there's a lot of things that I probably would have done a little bit differently there, but I was just so excited. And it was something that I'd been wanting to do for so long. And I put in a request for a sabbatical for uh, three months at work and I'd been there five years by that point. So it kind of felt like one of those moments where, yeah, it's, it's time for me to take a bit of a break and figure a few things out. So I really enjoyed where I was working at the time and I'm still there actually. So it'll be 16 years this year, but they let me do that and let me come back (laughs) and everything. So yeah, I guess that's kind of how it, how it got started. Was it just something you'd always wanted to do? Or, I mean, how, how did you get the idea in the first place? Like, had you ridden motorcycles before or? Just with other people. And I really enjoyed it so much. And it was also something that my parents also had said never do. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I just wanted to do that. Love it. But like, I knew my dad had ridden motorcycles in the past, so it wasn't like they were just saying no out of uh, being fearful or whatever. I'm sure they had like legitimate concerns and stuff, but 
I did really well in my motorcycle class. I beat all the boys and was the top in the group and stuff. So I just got, got to practicing quite a lot. I rode to work a lot in preparation for it and did a couple like little camping trips to figure out how to pack everything on the bike and, and get used to riding a bit longer distances. One thing I was thinking about, so getting our stuff down to a truck, obviously it was tough, but at the same time, it's really, it's a lot of space. But when you're talking about a motorcycle, you just have the, and I don't know anything about motorcycles, but the terminology, <laughs> but like the saddlebags, right? Or the side packs or whatever. Yeah. There's all sorts of things you can get. So I ended up, I had two saddlebags, which were smaller because my bike is smaller. It's um, Suzuki Boulevard M50 and which is about mid range between like the smallest and the biggest that you can get. And so I had the saddlebags and in those I kind of had my safety gear, an extra sweatshirt and snacks really. And like just stuff that I needed to get into on the road. I had a tank pack in front of me that um, opened up and I kept my phone and wallet and money and a map in there. And then I had a big suitcase actually strapped to the back right behind me where a passenger would sit. And it was like maybe the size of a medium size suitcase that you'd take through the airport, but it had like straps that you can strap to the back of it. And then behind that, I had a little rack where I put two dry bags and then the dry bags had like all my camping gear and all that stuff. And so those were just strapped with bungee cords to the back. And, and then I wore my helmet and leathers and had my protect all my protective gear and stuff. I have a really good relationship with my helmet and my leather jacket and everything. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I fit it all on there. And I think I had like two pairs of jeans, three t-shirts, a couple sweatshirts and all my underwear and all that stuff. And that was really it. And when I got back, it was just like, I'm pulling all my stuff out and like, yeah, this is really nice to only have like only have to worry about three things to wear <laughs> at a time. Yeah. You never have to think about what to wear because you just, I mean, it's kind of nice, really. You just have what you have. And I didn't care if I stank a little bit because I was on my own and <laughs> riding and hiking and stuff. So what did you do for food? Did you cook a lot or did you eat out a lot? I brought peanut butter and honey for, and like granola for and sandwich bread and stuff for sandwiches for lunches. And I tried to do that for lunches. Breakfast was, I don't know, just mostly coffee. Sometimes I'd make oatmeal um, on a little camp stove. And then in the evenings, it was kind of a toss up between like, if I was camping in a place that had decent food, then I would go out. But a lot of times I would just pick something up at the grocery store and fry it over the campfire. What did you do a mix of hotels or was it mostly camping? It was in, in the beginning, it was... Well, in the beginning, I stayed with people. So like my first leg, I stayed with family and then a friend out in Colorado. And um, after that, I was kind of on my own, mostly camping. And I realized that really quickly, riding motorcycle for 400, 600 miles a day is really hard on your body. So I started like renting more hotels as I got further on in the trip. <laughs> It was just like, I'd be riding. And then the last thing you want to do is set up a camp and a tent and, and all this stuff. And, but I, I still would camp a lot when I was in the national parks and nice areas like that. How did you decide your route? Did you have places that you've been wanting to go for a really long time or 
Did you just kind of wing it sometimes? <laughs> well, I originally had three months planned. And so I'd had this long route where that took me like through the mountains and then up the coast, West coast, and then even through Canada and, and then back around and stuff. But as I really got into it, I ended up only going as far as Las Vegas. So I went down the river into Iowa, stayed with my family in Iowa, then went across Nebraska and Colorado. I stayed in Dillon with a friend of mine over the 4th of July. So that was really nice. Have a kind of a home base for the 4th. And then went down through Telluride, Mesa Verde Park, over to Moab, and then up around the, all the parks in um, Utah, down to Zion and out to Las Vegas. And then from there, I was going to go across the desert to LA, where I have family out there too. But after that much time, and also getting from Zion to Vegas is just this long stretch of interstate and it's desert and it's so hot. I just didn't want to go any further past that. And it was kind of a bit of caution to my bike is smaller. I can go maybe 120 miles on a tank and you just don't know where the next gas station is going to be when you're out that far. So, so I decided to turn around and went back up through Utah and went up to like Devil's Tower and then over through the Black Hills in South Dakota and then back back home. So I ended up being gone uh, 30 days exactly. Before you left, did you think I have some sort of grand illusion or goal or like something that you thought was going to come out of it? Or did you just want to experience life on the road? I just wanted to experience it. And I thought like, I had just got this motorcycle and got my license and like the best way to really experience something was to just go and do something. But I'd also done a lot of traveling by myself in the past too. Like I'd been to Vietnam for a few weeks and went to Scotland a number of times and England and, and been around the United States a bit too. And a lot of that just came from, I'd been single for a really long time. I, and whenever I'd want to go somewhere like either friends wouldn't or couldn't go with me so I was like well if I'm I'm never going to experience the world or have make the most of my life if I'm not just going to go do it so right. I would just go do it that's awesome <laughs> so with this trip um I'd started planning it a couple years before and then I met my uh, boyfriend in 2010 like when I was starting to really plan this and I'd gotten approved for the time off and everything and so it ended up being a lot harder of a decision to, to follow through with, because after a year, like we'd fallen in love, he's now my husband. And mm -hmm. um, so it was really hard and missing him really did color a lot of the trip too. Right. So the timing of that, yeah, you, you're very conscious of him being at home and mm -hmm. I had hoped that he would like meet me at somewhere and do part of the trip with me, but he couldn't swing that. So when I got home, we ended up doing our own little trip around the Great Lakes, but it was pretty tough. About halfway through, I started getting really, really homesick. And I think that also kind of played into my decision to turn around in Vegas um, instead of keeping going and um, kind of making the trip a little shorter. So I, there was this point what was it called? Something Gorge. It was in um, Northern Utah. Oh yeah, it was Flaming Gorge. And I was at a T intersection right there. And like, I could go this way or I could go West. And I was just sitting there probably for three hours, I think, 
just like I would cry and then I would look at like my map and then I would look at my plans and just be thinking about all these things. And it was this moment that was really, really hard. And I hadn't had that experience before because I'd never been in a real relationship like that to like decide the path of (laughs) what I was going to do based on another human. But I ended up turning east and like the moment I turned east was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I needed to, it was time to head home by that point. But it still took another two weeks or a week and a half or so to get home because I was still that far out. And I still wanted to go up to Devil's Tower and go through the Black Hills quite a bit and spend some time there. So, but it did feel really good to, uh, yeah, and I never felt that before either, just to, to have that like, yeah, this is the right decision to like, head on back home, even though it would take a little bit of time still. That's just beautiful. (laughs) Kind of brings a tear to my eye. (laughs) Part of what's tough too is sometimes when you make a plan, you feel that pressure to continue through with it to the end. And if you really realize there's no reason to do that, and that's not what you want to do, and it's hard to decide to change and not do what you plan to do. It sure is, yeah. I felt really guilty, like kind of leading up to that moment in the gorge. Um, I'd felt really guilty for even thinking about it and feeling like there's these people who had supported me and were kind of following what I was doing. And I didn't have a blog or anything like that, but I needed that kind of pressure. But it did kind of feel like you do things for other people. And I'm not sure if that's something that is kind of a little bit more inherent with women or if it is with everybody who does this kind of stuff, but I definitely felt a lot of that and had to remember like, this is for me. This isn't what I'm doing. This thing for me It's not for anybody else. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm not trying to achieve anything here. Um, it was just, I just wanted to do it. And so when I realized that I had done that, done what I kind of set out to do, it was just time to head on home. Tell me about some of the stories that you had from that time though, those 30 days. What really stands out in your mind? Utah really stands out a lot. I just love Southern Utah and the parks and the red rocks. And it's so different from Wisconsin. It's when you come home here and like, I love the green and love seeing the black dirt and everything. And it really feels like home when I'm here, but out there too, it just feels, it feels like home too out there. And I also had some really good experiences with people in Utah. I was really getting, starting to get homesick quite a lot after I left Mesa Verde Park in Southwest Colorado and was making my way over to Moab. And it was rainy and like bad weather and that always sours your mood anyway. But when I got into Moab, I was just feeling really down. Like I didn't want to do anything. So I got a hotel that night Mm -hmm. and I was walking out in the parking lot and across in the hotel across the street, there were these other motorcyclists and they were out washing their bikes and they'd been out for quite a while. And so I walked over there and I was talking to them and they invited me over and like shared their soap. And uh, so I washed my bike for the first time and they were just the sweetest people. And it turns out they're from Wisconsin and Northern Minnesota too. And they'd been out riding for a couple of weeks already and just were so kind like in that moment when I was feeling really down and really homesick 
they just like, well, why don't you come out to eat with us? And they paid for my meal. And um, well, why don't you go for a ride together around the area or something? So we went through Arches Park together or something. And and that was only for a couple of days that we spent a bit of time together, but they gave me their number and said, if you have, if I ever had trouble, like make sure to call. And <laughs> if they're in, if they're nearby or whatever, they'll be able to help. And we ended up when we did our road trip around the Great Lakes, when we got back, we ended up staying with one of the couple in uh, around Ashland. We haven't been, stayed in touch with them over the years, but that was definitely a, an important kind of moment. I was driving down the Grand Staircase Escalante Monument Road, mm-hmm. and that road, I was kind of hopscotching with another couple of motorcyclists. So like I would pull off and take pictures and then they would drive by and they'd pull off and they'd pass. So we would like wait, start waving at each other. And we got down to the bottom of it and there's gas stations. So I saw them pulled off and was getting gas and we started talking. They're like, hey, what's your email? It's like, what? <laughs> it was really kind of creeped out. And he's like, I took this picture of you while you were driving by and he showed me. And it was like the only picture that I could ever have of me on my motorcycle with all my stuff packed on it and everything. And so he <laughs> sent it to me and that was just really sweet kind of thing. Like this total stranger he didn't know me. We just like waved in passing and he was like, Oh, this person might like picture. <laughs> so that was really nice. It seems like, especially with people on motorcycles or whatever like there's just a community even with people I know when I see somebody with our same brand of camper which is kind of rare it's just like we got to go find that person you know if you see it parked somewhere I'm like I gotta see that person so it definitely becomes this community where you you've made the same choice to do something so you have that in common it definitely does and as a young woman at the time it's like they kind of wanted to protect me a little bit too Mm -hmm. I had a lot of experiences where I'd pull up in a a rest stop or pull out on a touristy, whatever, pull out. And someone in a car would come up to me and and be looking around like, where's your husband? And I was like, just me. And they're like, oh, well, you be careful, blah, 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 or whatever. And I was like, I am, don't worry. (laughs) But it's like, everybody was really concerned. (laughs) Everything. I got a lot of questions about what my parents thought. Oh, gosh my reaction to that was usually, well, I'm an adult, so they can think what they want, (laughs) but that would be kind of tough to deal with that overbearingness of strangers. And you're so visible too, that Mm -hmm. you don't kind of have the wall of being able to go inside a vehicle, close the door and pretend not to hear somebody. Yeah, you're exactly right. But a lot of the motorcyclists, like it was mostly people in cars that would ask some of those questions. Um, But a lot of the motorcyclists were just like you go girl, like just stay safe and like, so proud of you for doing this or whatever. And so it was like that group of people, they're really wonderful. What did people say when you told them you were going to do this at home, being in our position, I've gotten the full range of reactions and advice and terrible advice and terrible questions and also good advice, you know, good people mean well. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I was curious, like what kind of questions you got and advice you got and if any of it was useful or if it was more of that overbearingness. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I had the benefit of having 
travel by myself a fair amount before I did this. So by that point, my parents had pretty, were pretty much, I mean, I was, how old was I by that point? I was in my mid twenties, I guess. And, um, or late twenties and it already been 10 years of them not being able to influence (laughs) that much, but I mean, I always respected their concern for my safety and, and everything. I got probably some of the worst advice from people at work. Like I would be leaving and they'd be like, well, just watch out. You're like, you're a young woman all by yourself and like need to make sure you always stay in, in well-lit places and like all the, the usual kind of stuff. And it wasn't, I mean, it's not like bad advice, but it wasn't particularly useful either. That's something you've never thought about before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And all my travels before, like I've always made a a strong point of like, hold on to my purse and I like pay attention to everything around me. And I've always been pretty good about doing that. And in my experience, if people notice that you are noticing them, they're not going to bother you. Mm -hmm. And America is amazingly safe too. Like we, the news makes such a big deal about the dangers of all these different places, but most of the time you can go into any of these places and not have a problem if you're just paying attention and taking care of yourself and not doing stupid things either. Right. So did you ever have a time that you were, and you don't have to answer everything, but did you ever have a time when you were scared for your safety? Um, no, not during this one. I, I actually, this isn't related to this trip, but I had a very, uh, there's a really big storm coming in. I don't know if you oh, can no. hear the thunder. Oh, I miss that about Midwest, the amazing storms. (laughs) That's big lightning and everything. Oh, I just heard that one. So when I was traveling in Vietnam, yeah, you might hear a bit more. When I was traveling in Vietnam, I had this, I was on a bus going out to this place called Halong Bay. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, that's really touristy place. But I had this like overwhelming feeling as I'm sitting on that bus, I should not be here. Mm -hmm. And like, I needed to get off now. And so like, I actually stood up and like made the bus driver stop and let me off and so then I I got a taxi back to the train station I got a different uh, went on a different trip and so like I always remember that moment because it was so it was such a gut feeling that I should not be here right now and so I never had that feeling on this trip which was good yeah and I think the only time I really felt unsafe was there's just a couple times when I was in a lot of traffic there was one time going up the mountain from Denver to, I was staying with my friend in Summit County. The worst. And it was the worst. It, it was after work, probably on a Friday. So it was just packed yeah. going this interstate, going up the mountain. And by that time I'd ridden, oh, I don't even know how many miles. I probably went 600 miles that day, six or 700. And so my hands were exhausted from the clutch and the brake and just like, holding the bike on a slope too. I can't just like let off the clutch or anything. So, so my hand was cramping up and I'm like halfway up the mountain and I'm like, how am I going to get any further? (laughs) I ended up pulling off for a little while and trying to rest my hand a bit, but it was, that was one of those moments where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to where I needed to get tonight. I can't imagine adding that on top of it. That is just notoriously the worst stretch of highway and we always try to avoid it, but somehow end up getting stuck in it. And, you know, the traffic is just terrible. And especially (laughs) on a Friday, it's the worst. Yeah. 
but just back, I mean, to the gut feeling things, like, I think that it's such an important thing that it is so important to trust your gut and you really don't need to, you don't need to have reason with it. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to have a, I don't know, it, cause if you start thinking about it, you start talking yourself out of trusting your gut, but really there's no reason not to just, yeah, you're, you're picking up on something and it doesn't matter what it was. Yeah. And it goes the same, the opposite way too. Like there were, there was a lot of people that I just instinctively trusted, like yeah. the people I met in Moab. And there is another like older man I met. I can't remember how we met, but we ended up like just kind of following each other for a while and then ran into a storm. And so we ended up like having breakfast together that morning. And then we kind of just went, we're going the same route or whatever, and ended up being a bit of a writing partner for half a day. And if I'd have had any inkling that there was something weird about this person. I never would have stayed. I would have kept going, but, but then I ended up having a great conversation. I don't remember it now. And I didn't write about it in my journal, but it was just some random older person and he had some good stories and we went our separate ways. So, you know, we talked a little bit about advice, the advice you got not so useful, but if somebody came to you and was saying, you know, Wendy, I'd really like to do this sort of thing too. What advice would you give that person? I would say absolutely do it. Don't let other people try to talk you out of it and or scare you away from it. I think, especially for younger women, I think it's so incredibly important to get out and do something by yourself. I never would have like been as independent as I had been in my life if I hadn't just gone and done some of those things. Like if I always waited for someone else to come with me, my life would be so much smaller than, than it was. And you learn a lot about yourself when you're out on your own without anybody around, you have to rely on yourself. And Mm -hmm. I also learned that I'm kind of a loner, but I like having people around to share experiences with like Mm -hmm. the whole time on this road trip, because I was like newly in love and all of that stuff. I was also thinking about like, I'm scouting places that he and I can go together someday in the future. And so the kind of the whole time I was just thinking like, this would be really great if I could share this with someone else. And I I probably always thought that way in a lot of my other trips. Um, So a lot of my other trips, I would always have a few days where I'd get pretty depressed and lonely and um, just be ready to go home a bit homesick and stuff. But this was the first time when there was actually somebody that I was thinking about during those homesick moments. So, so I learned a lot about myself in that way, just like the little nuances of, I really enjoy being alone, but when I'm doing these things, I really want to have someone to share it with. And I find a lot of joy in watching someone else experience something for the first time. That's important to acknowledge too, that not every day is perfect and Instagramming. And now there's so many people who are, you know, doing the YouTube of their, mm. doing the YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I sound old, but they're like vlogging their journeys or whatever. Mm. And it's like, yeah, I know you have to have the Instagram, everything looks perfect. And yeah, I think the problem with that is when you actually get on a trip, you're inevitably going to have bad days. It's going to mm-hmm. rain. You're going to be bummed. Like things aren't going to go your way. And it's harder to deal with that when you think it's all just going to be perfect, like a vacation. And Mm -hmm. it's really just like real life that you are 
somewhere else yep. <laughs> while you're living it. And most of the time it was really freaking hard. It was mm-hmm. like hard on my body. I got back and had to do a month of chiropractic because my motorcycle just beaten my body to so much. And wow. yeah, it was, it was pretty rough, but then like, it's always more rosy in hindsight too. Mm-hmm. Like looking back on it now, I'd never, I would never say no to, to doing that, even though like a lot of the days I was lonely and I cried a lot and <laughs> I was uh, just really hard riding and everything, but I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, but you did it. <laughs> That's what's so cool. Yeah. I think we talked a little bit about your favorite places like Southern Utah. I'm obviously a giant Southern Utah fan also. <laughs> um, but what places did you just not like and you couldn't really <laughs> get out of? Um, I would have to say the Plains. And like, I grew up in Iowa. And so there's a bit of my heart there anyway. But Nebraska and Eastern Colorado is worse than Nebraska. Everybody complains about Nebraska, but Eastern Colorado is the worst. And then the plains of South Dakota Mm -hmm. and riding across those areas is just, it's so monotonous and it's just straight, but on a motorcycle in a car, you can just kind of zone out a little bit and you're correct. You correct it. Mm -hmm. But on a motorcycle, if you zone out a little bit, you're going to crash. So like there was no mental break. South Dakota in particular has such a strong wind blowing from South to North. And when you're on a motorcycle to turn, you actually like push and lean. So you're lean in the direction that you want to go. And then you're actually pushing. You're not like turning the handlebars or anything. So when you're encountering this kind of wind, constant wind um, like that, it was like I was holding a half push up with one arm for six hours. It was probably that's the best way I can explain it. Um, cause it was just, you're just holding that for so long. And by the time I got done with that day, I was just like, I don't know that I can get home. Oh, wow. Aid <laughs> in rapid city or something. And, but, um, so those are probably the places that I would rather not ride across again, but living where I live, I'm going to have to, if we're going to go on another trip. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's always the start of every trip. <laughs> What other things did am I forgetting to ask you? Like, what other stories did you have that you wanted to share? So many of my things just kind of keep coming back to people. Like when I got into Zion National Park, I knew I wanted to do a bunch of hiking and everything, but I was staying in the campground inside the park. And there was this guy who's maybe my age. And uh, we just struck up, uh, he was in the campground right across from me and we struck up a friendship right away. And ended up doing a bunch of hikes and he's a photographer. So we went out on a night hike and took pictures of the stars. And it's just really wonderful to, to share that nature with somebody and, and get to know somebody new. And we stayed in touch for a little while. Yeah. You can't plan that. No, not at all. <laughs> and in devil's tower, I was camping in the park there too. And it's very rustic, like just the pit toilets and everything. And, and I was camping there and it was getting toward the, well, I guess it was still a week away from being done, but that was at that time after that point when I'd made the decision to go home, but I was still feeling pretty lonely and you're mentally done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went there and kind of walked around the the tower. And when I got back to the campground, I was just, I didn't want to go anywhere. There's no place around there anyway to like go mm-hmm. <laughs> to do anything. So I was just kind of sitting and I think I had a bowl of soup or something like really not very exciting. 
and this lady and her little daughters were camping across from me and they invited me over and just it was just so sweet they shared their meal and the little girls were just fascinated with the motorcycle and <laughs> wanted me to take them on rides but I didn't yeah. I'd never had anybody on the back of the motorcycle I'm like I'm looking to have these two little children <laughs> as my first passengers before but that was just really it was energizing too to like I don't know if you I don't know if I go so far as to say I inspired anybody, but to like have this connection with a couple little girls and you think, well, maybe one day they'll remember something and they'll go off and have their own adventures too. Absolutely. Yeah. I know when I was younger, when I would, whenever I would meet any adventurous woman, you know, it would just be so exciting to see that there was outside of where I grew up in upstate New York in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere, that there were things that people could do in other countries out there and wild places. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And I talk a lot about women um, getting out and doing these things too. But I mean, I absolutely think it's so important for anybody, but there's just so many things still in our culture that hold women back or little societal kind of norms that were just taught that take a little bit of work to break out of and doing things on your own and just getting out there. It helps to kind of put those things into perspective and makes you question where they came from and that they aren't really valid anymore. When you do travel internationally again, do you have anything that's like top of the list and places that you want to go first? I really, really want to go to Costa Rica. It's been on the list for a long time. And after like the stress of the last few years, I really just want to like chill out on a beach and have nothing to do and get into the jungle a little bit. It'd be pretty neat to do. And Norway has been on the list for a long time. And Italy. I'd love to do like a road trip through Italy and food road trip kind of, kind of trip. Oh my gosh. Me too. I think it's pretty <laughs> high up on the list and Spain and yeah, just warm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, because now it's summer, but warm places always are on my list. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I often go to like colder places and I'm not sure why, but I think I just like being cozy and bumbling up yeah. and I've been to Scotland a number of times and mm-hmm. I love it because it's rainy and there's like, it drives all the tourists away. So you get these amazing archeological sites that there will just be all to yourself mm-hmm. and, and they don't have all the fences and barriers and stuff up like American tourist sites do. So you can just kind of clamber all over the castle or the ruins and it's pretty cool there. So it's fun. It's fun to think about it again. Fun to talk to you too. Me too. Well, thanks, Wendy. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your time off this week. (laughs) Thanks. I will. I've just been reading and letting the dog in and out. She, she just (laughs) wants to like go in and out all morning and then she'll sleep in the afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cute. You can read about Wendy's writing about food, farming, sustainable living, the environment, and local Wisconsin culture on her website, wendy-allen.com. That's w-e-n-d-y-a-l-l-e-n.com. A couple nights after I chatted with Wendy, I was cooking dinner using a pair of spring-loaded tongs. After about 15 minutes of using the tongs, my hand was cramping, and All I could think about was Wendy on the clutch and brake, going up the pass from Denver to western Colorado, and how many 
many, many millions of times worse that would have felt. Wendy still has that same motorcycle, and she still rides. Thinking about Wendy's stories as my pathetically weak hand cramped up while stuffing enchiladas, I was struck by the number of times that strangers were there for her when she needed them most, like they could sense it. We've had a few experiences like that, of connecting with strangers when we really needed it. And we'll never forget those memories. Like 10 years ago in central Idaho, when we headed out for a remote hot springs campground, assuming that there would be a grocery store on the way where we could get food and beer, but finding nothing except for a tiny, dusty shop where they didn't sell beer, and all I could find that was edible was a dented can of tomatoes. Not wanting to go all the way back to Boise, we set up camp and made an extremely depressing dinner (laughs) with canned salmon mixed with that can of tomatoes and a can of lima beans served on some saltine crackers. It was revolting. A couple had been setting up camp nearby and came over to our site to say hi. When they saw our extremely sad dinner, they invited us over to their site, where they were about to break into a package of burgers, a case of beer, and a bundle of firewood. We happily joined them. After dinner, we drank the moonshine we had left from Tennessee and traded stories while we soaked in the campground's hot springs. Shooting stars crossed the sky. It was exactly what we needed to energize us for the road ahead, to remind us why we were adventuring. Another time was spring 2018, in a state park outside Escalante, Utah. We had been camped next to another couple for a few days, when they stopped over to invite us to their site for a beer after dinner. We were feeling kind of shy, but forced ourselves to get over it. We sat at their picnic table as the stars came out and learned that they were in the process of moving to Utah with the trailer they had at the campground, but they couldn't get out to the land they had bought until the rivers went down. It had been raining much more than normal, and the washes that crossed the roads to their land, while usually dry, were currently flowing, and they couldn't get to their land and start building until the water went down, but they had no idea when that would happen. They went over and looked at the river every day. They were getting fairly stir-crazy, hanging around in a place where everyone else was on vacation. They were ready to start the next part of their life, but they had no idea when they could do it. I feel like we gave them the break they needed from stressing about their uncertain future. Well, we gained some Utah friends and some off-grid house-building inspiration. Or when we moved to La Crosse in 2014, and felt really aimless and driftless, unsure of the direction our lives were taking. My coworker Jane scooped us up and introduced us to tons of interesting people, like Wendy. Without Jane, our La Crosse experience would have been much different. Or like my friend Charlotte, whose place we just stayed at in northern Colorado for a few weeks while she was out of town. I was already extremely grateful for the chance to have a home base, where we cleaned out the bobs, organized all of our stuff, went to various appointments, and got Adelief Springs installed on Bob the truck. Then we caught COVID, 
First Paul, then me, probably from the mechanic. And I was even more grateful (laughs) to have a place where we could lay on the couch for days straight, with no pressure to leave. How lucky are we to know people like this, all of whom started as strangers? Wendy's story reminded me how important it is to always look for opportunities to exercise kindness. Because you never know when someone really needs you, when your little kindness will change the trajectory of their day or their trip. And how cool is it to have that superpower? Next episode. That's when it really got scary. I was sitting in the cop car when Durf popped his head up, and I really thought they were going to shoot him. Yeah, we were probably the most wanted guys in Montana that night. What happens when three 40-something dads from upstate New York are pulled over by the police in the middle of the night, somewhere outside Missoula, Montana, in a case of mistaken identity? It's the stuff of true travel nightmares. That's next time. Thanks for listening. Any favorite recent book recommendations or anything you've really been enjoying reading? I just finished The Lord of the Rings for the first time, (laughs) which seems like one of those where you should have read that a long, long time ago, but... (laughs) I watched the movies and always thought that I like knew what what it was about, but the books are so much more in depth and you can tell there's just so much, like he had a whole history for this world. So it was pretty neat to finally read them. Are you ready for a new book? I have a suggestion for you. The White Heart of Mojave Annotated by Lisa McNamara, that's me, and Edna Brush Perkins is now available on Amazon as an ebook or paperback. Get the Kindle version for less than the cost of a gallon of gas, or the paperback version with full-color photographs and better portability for your next overland adventure. Search for The White Heart of Mojave Annotated. The annotated is the really important bit on Amazon today.